0: Speaking of The Bachelor, your boy Young Gravy, I saw this week, uh, he, so they had that, like, golden bachelor. Do you hear about that? Where, like, the old, it was the old people? Mm-hmm. So Young Gravy, he, I guess, somehow got a date with one of the chicks who didn't make it to, like, the end, and now he's dating one of the chicks from The Golden Bachelor. That's crazy. Savage. I'm off
1: the gravy train, by the way.
0: You're off gravy? Yeah, He's kind of annoying now. No more gravy? No more gravy. No more gravy. No gravy. I told you he was a fucking uh, SoundCloud bullshit
1: rapper. I wasn't arguing with that. I just said he had a couple good songs. But <sighs> now it, now everything he puts out is just it's kind of annoying. Yeah, yeah, fuck Young Gravy.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Flip the Record. Uh, this is episode... 42? 43? 40, I think it's 42. 42 sounds right. Um, anyways, Joey, what's going on, man? What's up? um
1: nothing I w- nothing just uh yeah, nothing nothing
0: nothing's happening oh well, i mean playoff it's football a big fucking day for us in detroit here folks big day 30 years we waited to have this back at our place the silver dome was still our home stadium last time they came here and we fucking throttled the packers too which is a nice little note um today we got the rams it's We've talked about it all week. Any, anybody who has any inkling of what's going on with the Lions knows this is a bad scenario for us. Given our history, given given everything bad that's ever happened to us, the fact that we have to bring back the chosen one to play in our first playoff game at home is not a great scenario. I
1: think okay? it's a perfect scenario. You have to get through this. You to, do have to get through to this. To move on.
0: You do have to get over this at some point. This is our opportunity to break the curse.
1: 100%. This is the final... The final way the, to get the final, whatever, trinket. It feels like the hor- final boss. Horcrux, the Infinity final Stone. The final boss of a- SOL. To get out of the SOL, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's,
0: regardless of whether or not we win another game or play in the Super Bowl, whatever. You, you have know, to win
1: this one. You have
0: to win this today. And if you get throttled next week. Who cares? It is what it I is. Mean, I mean, obviously it matters. It's going to suck, but it won't suck as mo- nearly as much as losing this game today. It's a massive, massive game for us. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, so that's kind of the big thought on my mind right now. But otherwise, um, yeah, man, uh, winter sucks. I fucking hate winter. I've probably said it a few times, but the people who are like, oh, man, the four seasons, they're so beautiful. There's nothing beautiful about what's going on outside right now.
1: Yeah, it's terrible. It's like
0: if it's going to snow, I want it to fucking like plow me in. Otherwise, like don't snow and be like 45 degrees so at least I can enjoy myself outside. It's 14 and there's like two inches out right now. Yeah,
1: it snowed and then all the snow just turned into ice. On the gr- or not ice, but it's like it's like hard as a brick on the ground. The roads aren't too bad because they they had ample time to get the salt ready. Speaking of salt, do you not have salt trucks out here in the sub? Yeah. Um I don't think
0: so. Oh. There's a there's a car when you come in from the other entrance. Oh. I, I always come in, <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? A, it's going
1: to get swiped
0: on it, the, it, on the turn. Not swiped. It is going to get fucking obliterated. It's part so all the streets are icy in this sub. And this car parked right on the far side of a corner. So, like, when you're coming around the corner, if you slide, you're going to slide right into this car. Yeah, they
1: park like at the worst spot for 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 winter conditions. It
0: is the dumbest, dumbest place you could park a car. I can't. Like, I looked at it yesterday because I thought for sure somebody would have hit it by now, and it's unbelievable oh yeah that i don't know why they would do that i saw it coming and i slowed down to like two miles per hour (laughs) just thinking to myself like oh this is how it happens (laughs) um but yeah can't wait for summer to be back all right uh artist today we've talked about it a boy from seattle washington grew up in a kind of poor broken home uh moves out kind of starts doing this rock thing gets some gigs with some lower-level bands, even gets a gig with one bigger guy, um, and then goes off and does his own thing and becomes this generational... Uh, icon. Like, icon. Revolutionary rock artist. Revol- like, icon beyond rock. Really a, a, a cultural figure of his time. Not Kurt Cobain. Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> uh, it's. I'm, I'm so glad we're doing this today, man. I mean, I... I certainly wasn't nearly as well-versed in his his stuff. And we're only doing the Jimi Hendrix experience, I should I should preface. But we'll talk about Jimi uh, as much as anything here. Um, I wasn't as well-versed as I really should have been. And I know this is not necessarily your kind of go-to style of music. So I think this is a really kind of interesting and important thing to cover, much like Zeppelin, much like Nirvana. Definitely. Um, where these guys really set the stage for... Uh, like I said, we talked about how Nirvana really defined and and created the the sound that will come in so so many artists after them. I think Jimmy set the stage for pretty much everybody who comes after him. It's in terms of rock music, in terms of funk music, in terms of you know so many different stuff things. He he's revolutionary and inspiring to a unbelievable litany of artists that from from the seventies through today. Um, that you'll hear on the radio
1: yeah i want to thank you for choosing hendrix because before doing this i don't think i could have named three hendrix songs yeah uh which is sad like looking back now that i've gone through the catalog there's so much good stuff here i actually liked this a lot not that i had like low expectations anything but i wasn't sure how much i would. curious yeah Yeah. and i i ended up liking a lot of his stuff
0: right and how could you not right i mean it's so I don't want to say maskfully put together because at times it's oddly and jumbled and kind of all over the place. But it, it's this like like distraught genius in him that's able to, even when the song's a little strange, the structure's a little strange, this or that is off. He comes in with that power guitar, that distortion, the effects, man, and it just rips you off the fucking mic or off the the. the, the a speaker, it's it's crazy.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a style of music I haven't really heard much of, or haven't really heard before. Where the guitar drives everything, even if even if the lyrics are good and the songwriting's good and the rest of the band is good, the guitar is still like it's like this supernatural force, like just powering the song.
0: <laughs> it's funny because there's a lot of kind of supernatural, ethereal inspiration in his music, um, and and the guitar mix is so. It, it, it makes it that's what makes the sound this the guitar is so supernatural when you think of the artists who come before Hendrix it's he's his first album's in 1967 Seven. and so the guys he grew up listening to guys like Chuck Berry Little Richard um, Robert Johnson uh, old blues players you know a lot of that um, some R&B stuff some funk stuff but those are the ones that come to mind and that's very kind of canonically structured you know it, it, it makes sense. There's a beginning, middle, end. there's these kind of done over and over song structures to them. And I would say the first album, Our Experience, has a lot of that. And that makes sense, right? When you're a new artist, you kind of got to get some stuff on the radio and just get yourself out there a little bit. Um, but a- as you go through this catalog of the Jimi Hendrix experience, it, it really deviates and he creates his own thing. Um, and again, just... Allows artists to
1: more wildly express their their artistic talent. Yeah. You know, what's crazy about Hendrix, too, is that he wasn't at the start of it like he wasn't super into the idea of being like the lead singer and taking that on. Like he was like when they were when they would go to the studio and record, I read that he made them like turn the lights off and he just had like a little you know light in there for himself to read the lyrics because he didn't want people to see him sing. (laughs) <laughs> because he was like so self-conscious about his voice, right? Which I is crazy he- because he, he's he's really good on the mic.
0: Yeah, and I had heard too that he was like so self-conscious about it that a lot of times, even if he was just doing a singing bit, he would carry a guitar on him, just as kind of like a almost like a
1: crutch. Yeah, like when you are at the bar and you just you have to have something in your hand. Like yeah, a little around, bit like even that, even if you are not drinking alcohol.
0: Right, because he was so comfortable with the guitar in his hands, but on the mic, he was just eh. Well, I, I don't want to say eh, but his confidence was eh.
1: Yeah, for sure. Right?
0: That is crazy, but he, he's such an electric frontman too. You hear the stories about him is smashing guitars, lighting, lighting guitars, guitars on fire. Uh, you know, playing this, with his teeth. Play, there's this iconic picture of him uh, from this music festival in Britain, where he's just kind of sitting there on his knees, almost like he's like praying to God. He's kind of got his hands out like this, and the guitar's just got this little flame coming right out the middle of it. And it's one of the most like iconic pictures in rock and roll history, man. It's so <laughs> fucking cool. Um uh, but yeah known for his, his stage antics uh you know to the point a lot of a lot of artists didn't really want to work with him because he was late he was crazy you know he was this he was that um and it's just such again distraught genius much i'll probably talk about it a lot through this episode much like kurt cobain where there's this oddity to him there's this um you know mystique uh but it just comes out so beautifully on the on the on the mic, man. I can't say enough good things about this guy. Really happy to be doing this today.
1: Yeah. Do you want to talk about the Cobain comparisons now? So you made it. <sighs> you brought it up yesterday when we were talking, and I think it's a valid point.
0: Yeah, I, I just think there's a lot of things here, right? Like I said, born in Seattle, Washington. Uh, not really born into much of a situation. I mean, th- a couple of stories I read. He grew up kind of like he. Uh, loving rock and roll music loving you know that kind of r&b funk scene um he'd go to school with like a broom right and he would like emulate playing guitar on this broom because he couldn't afford a guitar you know his dad and his mom couldn't afford a guitar either um and at some point he had picked up a ukulele from this odd job uh, that had one string on it and started learning to play like elvis tracks wow. with one string ukulele right and so that just kind of progresses until he gets an acoustic guitar he starts playing a couple shows and it's self-taught too, by the way, self-taught at these shows, he kind of realizes like, nah, the acoustic car ain't going to cut it. So then he gets a shit beat up electric guitar starts working with that, starts playing with guys like little Richard and a bunch of other smaller bands. Um, but little Richard's a big, big pop star back in the day. Um, regardless, back to the comparisons with Hendrix, uh, or with Cobain, with Cobain, um, you know, big time drug user. Um, Noted to kind of uh,
1: kind of both like outcasts
2: in a way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Strange personalities. The the icon of a counterculture of their generation, uh, whether that's Cobain in the 90s with with his kind of grunge scene and and Hendrix in the 60s with more of the hippie movement.
1: Um, Both died after three projects, like three projects, three, three big projects.
0: Yeah, technically I, th- I think technically Hendrix has a fourth with another band called Gypsy Love yeah, the or gyp- something. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Um but yeah, three projects died way too young, both from drug use. Hendrix definitely, Cobain maybe probably, I don't know, probably not. Um there's just there's a lot of similarities in the in these distraught geniuses. Um it's almost like Cobain like took his playbook
1: page They've, by page, and they both kind of invented like a new a new sound. Yeah, a new yeah. sound, sound yeah. a sound that changed generations to come.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's nail on the head there. Um, they're they're revolutionaries, man. As much as artists can be revolutionary, right? The, these guys are,
1: and only a couple years too, which is the crazy just, part.
0: Just massive parts of the cultures of their times. Hundred um, percent. Yeah, it, it's it's so fucking cool, man. Uh, other than that, the only other interesting story I read about Hendrix before we get into the music here, um, so Hendrix's mom dies in like, I want to say he was young, maybe like in his teens, sixteen, seventeen, and she dies of cirrhosis, which is like a liver disease often associated with like heavy drinking and drinking mm-hmm. problems. Um, <laughs> so Hendrix's dad is kind of an asshole, and instead of bringing him and his brothers to the funeral to, you know, pay their respects to his mother. He gave all his father gave all the children a shot of whiskey and said, This is how you deal with your problems. You're mad. That's terrible. That is so fucked up. Oh my god. So fucked up. Unbelievable when I read that. Like the the confluence of her dying of a disease that's likely caused by drinking. Just to mourn that loss with alcohol. There's a, for children again the 60s a little different but still messed up on so many levels fucked up man so that's that's the kind of upbringing jimmy hendrix had right yeah um but anyways man so he again mid 60s he's kind of doing these gigs with uh, various artists um getting kicked out of these gigs for his mostly eccentricity um and tardiness it seems to be a recurring theme Um, so in the late 60s, he moves out to London for a little while and starts playing these shows where, uh, guys like Keith Richards and Eric Clapton are like kind of taking notice of him. Like, wow, holy shit. Never seen anybody play like this. Um, so he gets, Keith Richards hooks him up with a producer who had been working with another band. I forget their name. Um, and then that producer had known a couple other guys from a different band, brought them together with Jimmy and they kind of meshed. Come up with the Jimi Hendrix experience and start working on the first album, Are You Experienced?
1: Yeah, which comes out in 1967. Jimi Hendrix on vocals and lead guitar. Noel
0: Redding on bass. He will eventually get a couple of vocals tracks, too, but mostly bass. Um, and then Mitch Mitchell, all-time awful name. Uh, <laughs> Mitch Mitchell on drums. Uh, a couple of uh, British blokes. Um. And that leads us right into the first album.
1: Yeah. So the first song on the first album is Purple Haze, one of Jimmy's biggest hits. Awesome song. I've got a bunch of fun facts on this song. So you want to. Yeah. I mean,
0: he starts off with a banger here. Mid-eye tempo, higher energy. Got this really like southern bluesy guitar, but super buzzy, super old school. As I mentioned, one of the things he's known for is really like dubbing and effects on his guitar. Something that was at the very most like not very well known. Um, or, like, much done. Um, But really, just doing everything you can to make the guitar sound a little bit different. And so he hits you with this buzzy, boxy, old-school sound. A lot of extra, like, cool, wild licks, extension of bits in this track. Um, Simple, pounding drums. Jimmy's on the mic, stretching and twisting his voice in this fun, kind of lively way. Great open for this album.
1: Yeah, so i got a couple fun facts. Hendrix said on this song, oh, you should hear the real Purple Haze in an interview it has about 10 verses and it goes into different changes you know it isn't just purple haze all of my you know blah 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 uh which i think is is worth bringing up i think and you'll s- there's a couple tracks in this third album that are like exceed 10 minutes in length and i think it was noted that he liked to make these like super long like 10 minute songs and just draw it out and just kind of play and see where it takes them and I think he ended up getting confined at first at least to to reduce those songs to like three, four, or five minutes.
0: Yeah, he's a jammer, right? It's talked about. He just loved to like be in the studio, just mess around, yeah. have a good time, you know. Um so it's easy to imagine him just sitting there just kind of plucking away and then bit after bit after bit, and all of a sudden you got ten plus
1: minute songs, you know. Um It would have been cool if they had saved those tapes and then eventually released them as like, hey, here's just a compilation of songs yeah. that yeah are normally three to five minutes but here's like the 10 minute version
0: yeah maybe i'll just get to it now since we're talking about it you know this this issue of jimmy kind of being in the studio fucking around gets to be a bit of an issue after a while um you know they had this producer at chaz something or other I'm forgetting yeah. his name um i think it was an alliteration it might have been chaz chapman or some, some, something yeah like something that. like that then one of his most important jobs in the studio especially in the first album but as they progressed as well was to kind of keep Jimmy you know in a, in a tight and orderly fashion um because he is this kind of guy who will just he's got a million different things going on in his head and he'll just go do whatever and be there when he gets there mm-hmm. um and so this Chaz guy really did a lot of work to kind of keep it tight and orderly um uh, because they're paying for studio time right um uh, studio time's not cheap especially when you don't have any money mm-hmm. so he did a lot of work for that by the time they get to the third album, um, Electric Ladyland, it, it's getting to a point where it's untenable. Upwards of $300,000 a year in studio time spent. Uh, and so in 1968, they had bought they had bought a building. I forget what it was. But they had bought a building uh, with the intentions of building a studio for Jimmy, um, which would be called Electric Ladyland. Which is a sick, sick fucking name for a, a studio. Mm-hmm. Um unfortunately i don't think he ever got to record there because i uh, what i read was something like they opened it in 1970 he was there for like the grand opening then went straight to london never came back uh. but i uh, i think plenty of other artists have recorded there it's kind of this iconic thing out in new york um cool idea but yeah the amount of money they spent on studios was fucking insane so anyways yeah this chaz guy especially in this first album you need to get radio hits you need to get exposure you got to keep it under three minutes And so I think all of these tracks are like three Three to five minutes. minutes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, A couple more fun facts on Purple Haze. So Hendrix said the idea for the lyrics came to him in a dream after he read a science fiction novel. And I was reading that fans and critics have spent like years trying to figure out what the song's about. And when asked about it, Hendrix just pointed to uh, a line at the end of the second verse. Never happy or in misery, whatever it is, that girl put a spell on me. Gotcha. So just kind of a little fun fact there. Hendrick claimed that this song had nothing to do with drugs, but it's hard to believe that they weren't an influence. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. The the lyrics kind of has like this imagery of like an acid trip. Yeah, that's a good way
0: of putting it. Absolutely. Or That would
1: be my guess, at least. No, but that makes
0: sense. You know, he's known for using barbiturates for LSD for all all sorts of drugs, you know, marijuana, uh, famously an alcohol addiction. Um, So that doesn't surprise me.
1: Yeah, and then one more quick one here. Uh, This song contains one of the most misheard lyrics with Excuse me while I kiss the sky, which was often interpreted as Excuse me while I kiss the sky. And it was funny, Hendrix kind of leaned into it and sometimes he would purposely sing it the wrong way, <laughs> like when playing <laughs> it live. <laughs> just to mess with people. Uh, <laughs> that rocks. So
0: I don't know. I, I find that kind of funny. <laughs> I never thought about it that way, but I could see it now that you mention it. <laughs> it's a very hymn thing to do.
2: Yeah. So uh, that
0: that's uh that Purple was it Haze. for Purple Haze. All righty. Next track, Manic Depression. Uh, this one's a little slower, a little sadder, very bluesy. Um, but still good high energy, really, really good guitar work. He's got this fucking rad solo in the middle. Epic solo. Where he just lets it rip, man. He cleans up the guitar, takes out that, like, buzzy sound effect, and just rips. And for a lot of like, I'm just going to kind of say that over and over in this. So if you have any interesting guitar work or, or, you know, rock music, just go back and listen to some of these songs we highlight because I can't quite with words describe the sounds that he gets it's fucking crazy absolutely Uh, aside from that it's kind of bumpy and catchy he's got these cool little wow yells
1: like throughout that are fun and energetic um this is a good one yeah i'm with you the solo is epic the rest of the song not as good as some of the others on this album for me uh introducing the song in concert jimmy said we'd like to do a frustrating kind of song for you it's called manic depression it's a story about a cat wishing he can make love to music instead of the same old everyday woman which is kind of funny because it's like." he was kind of like a womanizer and it's it's funny that even self admitted he's like yeah like music is my one true love like yeah. making love to these different <laughs> women like it's kind of gets old after it's a fleeting. while yeah and it's it's kind of funny cuz yeah, I mean you get a, a peek into his psyche and he's actually he's being pretty honest with
0: Just imagine him him like sitting in a room like a cigarette hanging off his lip just plucking away on a guitar and a girl like slaying in the bed like half naked with the sheet over her. She's <laughs> like, You wanna go for round two? He's like, hang on, I'm working on something.
2: <laughs> oh, definitely, <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, I could totally see that. The next track is Hey Joe. That's cover of an old uh, blues track, no? Yeah. So, funny enough, this has actually been recorded by over a thousand different artists over the years. Holy shit. Uh, this was originally recorded by Billy Roberts, part of the Greenwich Village Folk scene in the early 60s.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, and he was living in Greenwich at the time, so that makes sense. He'd pick up this. But I think also that producer we talked, or it might have been, he, he worked a lot with Eddie Kramer, too, who's this yes, legendary engineer. Yes. Um, And it was either Eddie Kramer or Chaz that that kind of had been working on this one with another band and brought it to Jimmy when the experience started.
1: Yeah. And this uh, so this is a cover that this was the cover was far more famous than the original or any of the other covers since. Right. Which is kind of cool.
0: Yeah. this cool track. Right. Slow. It's slower. It's it really kind of focuses on Jimmy's voice and he does a masterful job on the mic here um, where he's in this mid level kind of deeper. And you got this like strummy just humming guitar throughout. Um, the energy picks up a little bit, um, and and Jimmy's kind of telling this sad story about this guy killing his wife or his lover. Um, and as the story goes along, the energy in the room picks up, picks up, picks up by the end. He's kind of yelling into the mic. The music's going a little crazy. Um, the background vocals just doing the, uh, um, really adds some depth to the track here. I think this is a masterful track off this album, too.
1: Yeah, he does great work on the mic. And the song lyrically is a conversation between two men with Joe explaining to other that he caught his woman cheating on him and plans to kill her. And then as the song progresses, you can feel like the energy starts to pick up a little bit. Yeah. And at the end of the song, you learn that he did indeed shoot her. And now he's headed to Mexico. Yeah. All right. Uh, two fun facts here. This was the last song performed at Woodstock
0: 1969. Ah,
1: gotcha. The, uh festival was scheduled to end on midnight on sunday august yeah, this 17th a crazy story but it ran long and hendrix didn't go on until monday around 9 a.m and there weren't many attendees left but hendrix still put on a an g- epic performance yeah the performance. the national anthem and opens the, yeah. with
0: the national anthem all-time performance if you haven't seen that that video of him doing that it's worth it, a watch it's absolutely worth a watch
1: and um, then Oh, sorry. You no, go in. ahead. Go ahead. The other fun fact: Dick Rowe of Decca Records turned down Hendrix for a deal, unimpressed with both Hey Joe and Stone Free. Rowe also turned away the Beedle- Beatles four years earlier. <laughs> All-time all- bad ear for talent. Can <laughs> 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 so you imagine turning down the Beatles and Hendrix? Oh my God!
0: Oh, he signed some shit bags that are just like <laughs> never been never been heard since the seventies. Turned down the Beatles and the Hendrix. <laughs> to get fired immediately. <sighs> Not, I guess to, to round out the theme of the episode, reminds me of Celion's GMs.
1: <laughs> Anyways. Uh, you got anything else about Hey Joe? No, just uh, I, I do like this one. It's yeah, one really of my cool favorites try. from the album. Totally agree.
0: Song after that, Love or Confusion. A uh, little bit more up-tempo here. Guitar's cleaner again. Uh, really working it off again. Classic riff here with these long, hollow licks and soloing on top of it. Um, cool drumming complex and like quick beats um i don't think the the vocals are anything special here but it's not really the focus um you know it's got this like weird kind of bluesy psychedelic sound to it this is where you start to get a little bit of that what what i'll say a lot is like psychedelic rock Mm -hmm. um you know think think pink floyd think cream this is very this is a very like british rock thing that's going on at about the same time uh with clapton and some other artists Um, Yeah. And and drugs are big at the time as well. Right. Right. Experimenting with drugs is is one of the one of the let's call it like. I don't want to call it like key factors, but just like a cultural. It's a big like countercultural thing. Right. Again, with the hippies and everything like experimenting with drugs is one of these things that they just got into that was very counter to the norm, um, but something they were interested in. So.
1: Right. I'm with you. This song, lyrically, I mean, it's just about <laughs> literally is this love or is it confusion? The word, the lyrics are fine, but the shredding in the background is what makes this song good. There's a handful of tracks throughout his catalog in this catalog, this
0: three albums that you could just take the vocals out and I would still be plenty happy listening to it.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. There's, there's definitely a couple songs where like it'll be like two like just choppy verses with like yeah. re- repeating a lot of the same things. It's yeah. like, you, could, yeah, you could totally just, just do, do without it.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh next up, May this be love. Slower kind of sweet track. This one feels like a like a, it takes you on a journey a little bit. Dude, that know.
1: that was my note as well. Musically this is a
0: journey. Yeah, another one of these psychedelic rock tracks. Uh just like you get this soft plucky guitar with like these soft like building drums, uh, quiet, sweeter singing. A lot of nature references here. That's another uh, along with the science fiction stuff, you'll hear a lot of nature references throughout his catalog, which, again, is very hippie of him. Um, there's a nice little solo at the end. It doesn't go crazy, but it is fitting for this track.
1: Enjoyable. Um, this one has grown on me a lot. I like this one a lot. So he moves the volume on his guitar up and down throughout the song, which yeah. is what creates that effect of like the guitar playing from one side of the speaker to yeah. the other, Yeah, which is really cool and kind of creative. Like, And then uh, lyrically... In the song, he sings, "Waterfall, don't ever change your ways. Fall with me for a million days, oh my waterfall." Which I'm not necessarily sure if that's a reference to if he's talking about uh, a lover or or drugs or music or you know whatever the case may be. But this is definitely one where I think lyrically and musically it's really really cool. Well, one thing of note now that we're talking about effects too, this is
0: 1968. There, so the recording in 67, 68 computerized, like, um, studios are kind of just becoming a thing. Like, before this, recording studios were very, let's call it analog, right? You recorded. um, If you could get any effects physically, you got the effects physically. But there wasn't a lot of, like, digital alteration in any of these tracks. And so all the effects that he has on any of these songs were all done by Jimmy. Mm -hmm. Like, it was him twisting strings. And Kramer, too. He helped out a lot. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was him doing all these different things to try to, you know, just different stuff to try to get different effects. Right. Whether it's, you know, making the amp sound a little bit different, um, putting strings in different spots on the guitar. Like he, uh, I read something. He plays a left hand or. Yeah, he a he's, a, he's a lefty. Gu- so he plays a right handed guitar with the strings in the left
1: handed orientation. Yeah, yeah, he which does a, gives he, him a little bit of a different sound. He did a lot of crazy things like that, and then playing it behind his back. Yeah, and right. Do you know what this effect is? Because I, I wanted to bring this up. This was like the first time, while doing prep for this podcast, where I noticed the vocals when you're listening to it with earbuds in. They would sh- the vocals change from going to like you'll hear it in your left earbud and then your right. And I noticed this because there's a couple songs where I listened with like one earbud in. And I was like, oh, where'd the lyrics go? And then I put it in. I was like, oh, like it's shifting. That's
0: a new thing that these like uh, streaming services have started doing. I think in the last four or five years um, when they remaster and, uh, you know, create the or I guess just remaster the music, they're able to create new effects on these. And that's one of the things they've done with like Apple and Spotify, at least um, to create that effect.
1: So do you think there is any intention from the original artist of like when they were mastering the song to to have it? come out like because even on a speaker right you could you could orient it if you had like a, a decent a set of speakers system. yeah
0: a set of speakers yeah i guess you could but i, I think the notion of you know you're not going to hear that on the radio and you're certainly not going to hear that off a vinyl record yeah true um so i don't think that i don't think that necessarily played a factor unless that was something they wanted to do live um which surely you know they did all sorts of crazy shit live they could have done that absolutely but i don't think that was necessarily an intention i think that was more kramer got back in the studio and said this would be cool
1: well yeah because i was gonna say one surely these songs have been remastered multi i mean I, I know for a fact they've been remastered a couple different times and yeah i just don't know like because i haven't heard that before yeah but it's it's cool it's I something different
0: i can't think of anybody off the top of my head but i, I vaguely remember starting to know this notice this a few years ago hmm. um, i'll have
1: to pay more attention for that going, yeah, going
0: forward. right because I've had the same thing happen where you got one in and all of a sudden, like, half the song cuts out, like, what the fuck? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but it is uh, a cool bit.
1: Yeah, I'm going to have to look into that and see if I can Yeah, find, find an some answer. other examples or, yeah.
0: Alrighty. Uh, next track, I Don't Live Today. This one feels like, how do I put this? Because you had bands like Cream. You had bands. You had a couple other bands who were making what I would call hard rock music. But this feels like a true predecessor to, to 70s and beyond hard rock. This feels like a, a, a godfather of those type mm. of, of the types of bands like a like a Black Sabbath, um, like a Kiss, like a Zeppelin. Um, you know, you don't hear this super buzzy, super boxy like sound on the guitar. Um, really heavy. Like this is one of the tracks I felt that, like the music drowned out Hendrix a little bit on the mic. Um and that's fine because it's cool. It, it's innovative. It's interesting. Um, it just struck me as like, wow, I don't. I can't think of too many other artists that like did this before this, you know. Um, regardless, really cool track here. Uh, he's got this like chanty cadence. That's another thing that reminded me of like my even modern heart. Like this, this reminded me a little bit of Foo Fighters and Three Days Grace just with the way they did their their chorus here. Mm. Um inviting riff with like hard biting licks all over the place roller coaster tempo um really traveling with the guitar good energy all over i I love this one
1: yeah i like this one too lyrically about not feeling like you're living life to the fullest sings will i live tomorrow well i just can't say but i know for sure i don't live today Just again just looking at he's introspective and honest just about certain aspects of life which is cool yeah Another, uh, let's call
0: it a hit off this album, The Wind Cries Mary, um, certainly one of his more ballady tracks and slower, I, I caught a bit of an interview with Eddie Kramer, or maybe it was a documentary, but um, he was talking about this one, and J- Jimmy kind of notoriously loved to have the, the amps up loud, buzzy, you know, rockin' and him and chaz really had to like throttle him here like no this is a ballad like take it easy take it down a notch we're going to settle this right into its spot because that's exactly what this is this is just a low slow easy going ballad um and so you can't really have it up but he still hits a few licks in here that like he's almost like rebelling against the 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 guys in the studio a little (laughs) bit uh regardless a lot of nature motif here vocal work is awesome again he's just so sweet with it on this one um great intonations perfect level for this story for this song I, I like this one a lot too
1: the story behind the song is hilarious so this was inspired by his girlfriend at the time uh, her name was kathy kathy mary uh, he would gotten into an argument with her about her cooking she got angry and started throwing pots and pans and then finally stormed out to stay at a friend's house for a day or so so when she came back he had written the song for her the wind cries yeah. mary and kathy mary recalled We'd had a row over food. Jimmy didn't like lumpy mashed potatoes. <laughs> they were thrown plates and I ran off. So he wrote this song. They got in a fight over lumpy mashed potatoes. And this is this is one of his, you know, arguably top 10 songs of all like. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. And it's it's just so funny that it's like he wrote this over mashed potatoes. What the
0: hell? <laughs> That's funny, too. Or not funny, necessarily. But, you know, I, I, I was reading about a little bit about his alcohol problems. Um, and it's like everybody you talk to when he was. Jimmy, you know, when when he wasn't drinking, he was pretty loose, easygoing, you know, lazedays kind of guy. And then I guess alcohol turned him into this like demon man. Mm. Just an absolute beast. Probably goes um, back
1: to some of that family stuff you're saying earlier.
0: Yeah, that's got to be part of it. Um and so that's it's just funny to see, not funny necessarily, but interesting to see this side of him over fucking mashed potatoes.
1: Yeah, and I guess to uh, so he 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 didn't end up showing the song to anyone initially. And after recording Fire, which is, you know, another it's could be taken as like a, a kind of sexual song. He had 20 minutes to spare in the studio. So he ended up showing The Wind Cries Married at the band. Yeah, I heard this. And the band was like, yo, we need to record this like now. Like this yeah. is a good song. Yeah. So they ended up recording it in the 20 minute period that they had. It was fucking
0: crazy, man.
1: Yeah, Chaz is
0: freaking out. He's like, "Jimmy, we only got so much time, brother. Let's go, let's go, let's go." And Jimmy just started like putting together the demos like right then. And uh, what uh, the boys, Mitch and, and Noel, just got right in there, got it, and they did it, and it was done twenty
1: minutes flat. Yeah, and this song's really cool lyrically, like you know, uh, about a girl somewhere, a queen is weeping, somewhere a king has no wife, and the wind it cries Mary. And it's got the iconic opening, the dun dun
0: yeah dun. Yeah, I love that simple like bass tone to it. Yeah. Love it. And we just touched on it. Uh, and we've touched on it before. What an iconic track. Yeah.
1: Red Hot Chili Peppers. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Stock uh, 99. <laughs> 99. <Yeah. laughs> Dickheads. Love it. That's an all-time <laughs> yeah. move. All-time. It's one of my
0: favorite stories from this podcast. This song is fire. Up-tempo, high-energy dance track. He, he's got a few of these in his catalog where you can hear he's like, he's playing this to get the crowd moving a little bit. Um you know, funky and rocky, and it got all sorts of things here: crashing drums, up-tempo lyrics, chanty chorus that you can get the whole crowd singing along to. Really, bass tone guitar, like like uh, Noel is doing a fantastic job on bass here. Um, let's it rip on this sol- a couple of solos throughout the song. Uh, just a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, and I alluded to it in the, the when we were talking about the wind cries Mary. Like, it sounds like it's a very sexual song. Uh, yeah. He sings, I have only one itch and desire. Let me sit, stand next to your fire. Yeah. But then I was also reading that uh, Noel Redding, they were at his mother's house on a New Year's Eve in Folkestone, England, after uh, uh, doing a gig. And Hendrix asked Noel's mother if he could stand next to her fireplace to warm himself. <laughs> and uh, she agreed, but her German shepherd was in the way. So Hendrix let out with, oh, move over, Rover, and let Jimmy take ah, over. Which is uh, one of the lines from the song. Yeah. So maybe it's not about that, but it certainly, se- I don't know, a little bit of dual thing, maybe. Yeah, but I, I, I did get a kick out of reading that. That's a funny thing. I, I was
0: well, I always wondered where that line came because I thought it was so cool and like different, like just I, th- I always thought it was just Jim, Jimmy throwing in a little like joke, like on the bit and getting yeah. into it, you know, it's cool.
1: And then the l- last note, like you had mentioned earlier, uh, he was low on the bill on the Monterey pop festival in 1967 yeah and to like garner some attention in the media that this is when he lit his guitar on fire yeah
0: right well i mean what else this is the one you set the guitar on fire for that's crazy to think like he grew up barely being able to scrape by to get guitars and by the time he becomes a big star he's fucking destroying guitars for fun like left and right
1: yeah i want to <laughs> watch the chili peppers cover of this song in Woodstock again that video is yeah. so funny oh it's a lot there's so many good videos
0: from that <laughs> oh it's a lot of trick. just the montages they did at the beginning and the end of my documentary we did for that were so fucking fun
1: it's so much funnier too because the two festival guys were such shitheads like they deserved it yeah <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> but again inspiration right Chili Pepper is absolutely inspired by a guy
1: like this oh John, for sure John Frusciante and Flea absolutely fucking loot I I read that they they often do like Hendrix covers in their shows like they're all big Hendrix fans
0: yeah that makes a ton of sense and you can hear it in their music yeah all right uh next track third stone from the sun which is an allusion to the planet earth uh mid-tempo kind of drums doing this cool up-tempo jazzy pattern this kind of like a jazzy track here but also of that psychedelic rock yeah it kind of falls off the rails a little bit too so it starts off in a very fairly like jazz sound to it soothing plucky drawn-out guitar riffs you get like wind sound elements coming into it um nature motif again uh not a ton of like vocals here mostly instrumental um but then, towards the end, you start to hear like distorted screechy guitars kick in. and this is one to me that like stuck out as like you hear a little bit of where Nirvana might have got it some inspiration mm. from because again, like who who the fuck is doing this where they're just scratching guitars um you know, just scratching strings up and down just to get these weird just fucked up distorted sounds and it draws you back to a song like nameless faceless mm. um. Yes, it's an interesting track. I don't know how much replay value there is here, aside from, I'd give it a listen once. Yeah, sure.
1: so so this runs six minutes, 45 seconds, largely instrumental. It does have, like, this garbled, like, l- 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 these, like, garbled lyrics. So it was actually a conversation Hendrix had with the producer, and they cut it up into pieces and then slowed it down to make it, give it, uh, like, that garbly, like, kind of... Yeah, low tone. Yeah. You know? Uh... Yeah, and then the only other note I had was he kind of does, like, a little bit of, like, spoken verse as opposed to, like, singing towards does the end that of the song. Does that occasionally, yeah. But, uh, yeah, overall, I think this is a solid, solid track. Yeah, interesting for sure. Yeah.
0: All right, next one, Foxy Lady, another hit off this album, or at least a hit nowadays. Um, classic Hendrix track. Bumpy, funky, fun sound to it. Mid-tempo, classic riff here. So, like, swaggy and silky with the vocals, um, very much a horny sex track. I was
1: going to say, a very, very sexual
0: song. And, and it's interesting. W- something interesting that I was thinking about as I was listening to this, right, is like, it's 1968. The The civil rights movement in America has, is really kind of towards its tail end, but still going along. And so for a black artist to be doing this kind of song in 1968 is very... uh, It's a bit risky. I'll just put it that way. It's a, it seems a bit risky, like... You don't want to you don't want to make people think this guy's too flashy, you know, mm-hmm. but he didn't give a fuck.
1: Yeah, it's part of what made him part
0: of what's really cool. Right. Um, regardless, fun tracker. Really like it.
1: Yeah. In a, a booklet for the Hendrix Experience CD, he was quoted as saying this was the only happy song he had ever written. He said that he what? usually he said he usually does just doesn't feel happy when writing songs. Huh? Just kind of odd. It's crazy when you think about the song like fire, or like Crosstown Traffic. Yeah, true. Like what? Uh, man. Anyways, okay. Yeah. So after that is "Are You Experienced." So really cool effects on this one. The guitar, bass, and drums were all played backwards. I was gonna say he does a
0: bit of this throughout his catalog too, where he starts doing backwards effects on the it, instruments.
1: You know what it almost sounded like a little bit at the beginning it was like, uh, like a MC or like a, a DJ, yeah, like scratching a disc.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I hear that because think about like for the people listening think about what a guitar note sounds like backwards because you don't have that like thump right at the beginning of a note it starts at the end of a note where it's just and it's kind of rising as the note goes along and then you get the thump at the end Um, so it's a really kind of fucked up sound but it's cool effect here nonetheless and I think it's perfect for this track this is another like psychedelic ballad here too Um, another sex song too question mark
1: yeah, so the question, are you experiencing, was commonly interpreted as Hendrix asking if you've experienced drugs. Oh, uh, okay, gotcha. Because he's, he's kind of singing, uh, and he said himself this necessarily wasn't about drugs, but about being at peace with yourself. But, I don't know, if you read some of the lyrics, like, it kind of sounds like he's singing about drugs.
2: Yeah,
0: drugs for sure. I kind of took it as, like, uh, almost like a really, um, like, sensual kind of thing, like, have you ever have you ever made love? That kind of thing.
1: I could see that too. He like so he does saying, "Let me let me prove it to you. Trumpets and violins I can hear in the distance. I think they're calling our names. Maybe now you can't hear them, but you will. Almost like you're waiting for like a, a trip to yeah, kick it, in. Yeah, to kick. Yeah. But uh, either way, f- it's a fine song. could could be interpreted either way.
0: Yeah. Uh, I just want to say one more thing about the, the the music here. You'll hear the drums. The drums are very washy, like because because almost like a drum line in like a marching band because of that backwards effect the guitar again very strange very odd sounding but it's very slow and low throughout too mm-hmm. again very psychedelic very supernatural to it um cool track worth a listen
1: yeah the next track is stone free just kind of just a song about like personal freedom uh this was one of the lesser ones on the album for me yeah it
0: didn't really stand out to me here simple tempo, kind of funky track um I like that he added some cowbell into this song. That's kind of a weird act. Like, at the very <laughs> beginning, you'll hear, like, hits of cowbell. Oh, really? Uh, which is interesting. And then they just kind of get into a standard, like, Hendrix track. I don't know. Nothing special.
1: Yeah. The next track after that is 51st Anniversary. And you would kind of mentioned this earlier, but his parents had a really, like, just Rocky. bad marriage. Yeah. Uh, which influenced Jimmy. Because this is an anti-marriage song. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you hear, like, the story he tells is, like, there's this happy couple that can't wait to be, fi- you know, have their 51st anniversary. And as the song goes on, you hear, like, the the distraught and the anger and the, the unhappiness with their relationship go on. Like, it gets to a point where it's, like, kind of uncomfortable listen, honestly. Um,
2: yeah,
1: this is not one that I would come back to a lot. Not a favorite here either, but it's
0: on. I mean, you got to put, put tracks on the album. Like you said, not happy, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Otherwise, uh, up tempo, kind of jangly, quick, funky chords. It's got a very classic Hendrix sound to it. Yeah, um, that's all I really got here.
2: Yeah, I
1: don't really have anything else. The next song is Highway Child, which he does know, this
0: on a couple. Yeah, right. This yeah, is,
1: it's Child, but he dro- he replaces the D with an E. It's very
0: much like this, uh, like Caribbean African like accent to it. I don't know where he gets that influence, but
1: yeah, he does it with Voodoo Child. Voodoo Child. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyways right go ahead yeah i was gonna say some of the lyrics from this song it sounds like he's just singing about himself yeah his guitar is slung across his back his dusty boots and his cat is his cadillac a flaming hair just blowing in the wind ain't seen a bed in so long it's a sin
0: right this is a traveling track this is every rocker every
1: big rocker has a couple of these
0: where it's just a song about kind of being on the road um bumpy fun choppy quick strumming guitar with pounding drums um Reminded me a little bit of a country track, but, like, with a rock twist, you know? Um, cool track. Totally good good one to listen to.
1: Yeah, just solid. After that is Can You See Me? So, it's got some awesome guitar. Not not a whole lot lyrically, but really good guitar-wise. That's This is one that
0: struck me as, like, you take the lyrics out, cool. Would rock live, man. Because I could just see him, like, twisting this one all over the place live. Really, like, adding in some different solos and shit. Um, stretching it out longer. Uh, this wouldn't be so cool live. Mid-eye tempo, good energy, a little bit more poppy, um, kind of pop rock thing here. Mm-hmm. Uh, smooth but approachable guitar. Um, rocking drums. I like this one.
1: Yeah, I do too. And the next track is Remember, and I kind of feel like the last like couple songs on the album, he's more like just kind of flowing. Yeah. Like, he's kind of like... Get, yeah, he, smooth. He's kind of like getting get the style figured out a little bit more. Yeah. And it's funny because these songs have... A lot lower streams, like total right. streams, but I feel like he's just kind of like getting in the zone, like cranking them out, you know?
0: Yeah, and I, I think this, I mean, obviously, it's just kind of how it goes, right? With streaming. You get to the end of an album, especially a, what is it, 17 song album here. Mm-hmm. Um, people get a little bit of, of weird. They don't necessarily always make it to the end. So it makes sense that, like, the streams are lower. Red House is a standout track we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but, anyways, this one, remember, Kind of poppy track here again. Loved song. Um, mixed in with a little bit more of that hollow, bumpy bass and these high tune guitar licks. Uh, cool. How do I put this? This this one needs a little bit more zhuzh. Needs a little something. Uh, like, I kind of, like, he, he lets the guitar cry a little bit throughout the song. I wish he had, like, a longer kind of whining, wailing guitar solo at the end. I think that would improve the song drastically.
1: Gotcha. I like the sound of this one, and I like he uses like as a metaphor. Well, not even a metaphor, just, uh, but that the mockingbirds used to sing for their dinner back when he was with his his girl or lover, and yeah, then not since they she left him. Yeah, which I yeah. think is cool. It's a different way of just saying like, oh, I'm sad that my girl left me. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely a interesting line there, and I don't think his writing is. His writing is spotty. There's some really good stuff and some really eh, yeah. Yeah,
1: that, that's kind of what I was saying with uh, like can you see me? And there's another one on here. Uh, what is it? The one with confusion. Is this lover? Is this lover confusion? Yeah. Where it's like the writing is just super super basic. It's it almost feels like he just got lazy with it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not to discredit right. him in any way, but there's some it. other songs where the writing's fantastic. Yeah,
0: really interesting, really thought out. Um, yeah. Yeah, not this one. Or sorry, did I mix that up? No, yeah, that, no, no, no. Right. This one is cool. This is the one, with the Mockingbird. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. And even the, this next song is really cool too, Red House. Yeah, I kind
0: of love this one. This one's really grown on me. Just very, very old school blues, like right down to the roots. You, if you took the vocals and the drums out of this and just heard them play in the guitar, you would recognize this from like. You would be like, "Oh, that's like the cop or the clip art like blues track." <laughs> The guitar
1: is like a drug in this song. It, oh, I yeah. love the guitar so in this song. So soothing, man.
0: Uh, it's just cool. Um, it's got that a little bit of that, like, um, not bad to the bone, but that kind, of, same kind of thing to it. Um, it it's Jimmy and, and Noel really just working together, creating this masterful, like, bumpy, slow track with it. Um, his voice is perfect for these kinds of songs. I love it. Kind of raspy, kind of, like, strained a little bit but also bright and, like, like energetic. Um, he, he adds little licks in on top of these riff, the two riffs between him and Noel, um, that add great depth and, like, a little uniqueness to it. Uh, this is a very underrated track.
1: Oh, absolutely. So he, back when he was in New York, he when he was still kind of, like, struggling, he stayed at a friend's apartment that I guess was decorated, like, almost entirely red. So that's kind of where they, he got the inspiration got. from the song. Uh, fun fact. Uh, the original recording for this ran like 13 minutes. Yeah, this, that makes sense. this is one of the ones they had to, you know, chop, chop down. Yeah. Uh, but no, he's singing about kind of returning home to see, you know, the girl that lives at this red house. Yeah. And he goes to try the key, and the key doesn't work. <laughs> and then he, so you know he's like he turns around, he's disappointed, and then he ends up turning back, and he realizes her sister lives there, so he goes <laughs> in and you know, yeah, does whatever with the sister, and it's yeah. it's kind of a f- it's it's kind of a funny track. Tomato tomato. <laughs> <laughs> and the, he closes out the song with, "Cause if my baby don't love me no more, I know her sister well."
0: Yeah, hey, a little switcheroo. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that closes out. Are you experienced? Uh, a, a masterful genre-defining album.
1: Yeah, really cool.
0: Really cool. Um, I just noticed we spent about a half hour on that album, which is is unique. I, I guess it's not often we have artists that we cover that are only like three albums. Um. But the fact that we had 30 minutes worth of content for that album uh, should say... Sh- on that alone is enough to speak to the volumes of, of interesting, cool shit about that album.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad we have a ton of time today because we'll probably spend almost the, the same amount of time on the next two. The next two, yeah. Yeah. Alrighty, with that,
0: get into Axis Bold as Love. So so this also comes out in
1: 1967.
0: Yeah, yeah. What's interesting is... um. They, they, Eddie and Chaz talked about it a little bit where, like, they basically made the first album and then didn't stop. They, they, the idea was basically let's get enough music for an album and then just keep going. Um, so they put out the first album, they tour the first album a little bit. It's going nuts. Jimmy gets huge all of a sudden between that music festival you talked about earlier, a couple other shows. And, he, and again, the recognition from all the, the, the great contemporaries is really blowing them up. Um, and he's still in the studio just doing "Axis bold as love in his meantime between shows. Cool, cool bit. Um, his conf- You can hear on this album, his confidence has definitely grown. Yes. There's even more kind of experimental stuff here. The effects are getting a little crazier. The, the willingness to step outside the box is more and more and more. Um, I don't know if I enjoy this album so much as either of the other two. But that's not to say I don't enjoy this album. There's, again, there's, really, really cool stuff. And
1: there's out some here. really standout tracks in this one, too. Uh, two two things I want to talk about. One, it's kind of crazy that this was coming out around the same time as Zeppelin. Yeah. And they both started where they're like, yeah, we're just going to release two albums in a year. Like, could you imagine? Like, that's what I'm saying, man. Like, we, we haven't talked
0: about, we haven't talked well, I mean, aside from spotty comments here and there we haven't even talked about some of the other bands that are doing the same fucking thing at this time dude you're getting acdc like in the mid-70s you're getting kiss and black sabbath and, and Clapton, in all at this same fucking time it, it's bob dylan's huge too bob dylan's huge man elvis just like he was a little bit young, older but uh, there's so much cool shit coming out in this like late 60s early 70s window that really sets the stage for everything man. yeah so it's really really cool, cool.
1: And I also want to talk about, before we get into the first song, the album cover is really, really trippy. I love it. It's a cool album yeah. cover.
0: So it's it's a depiction of the the Hindu goddess, or I think it's a goddess. I think so. Vishnu, which is like the the god of like everything, basically. It's their big god. There are many gods in Hindu or Hinduism. Uh, mm-hmm. But Vishnu is like the big one. And so Vishnu's got like 30 arms or something. And so the, the cover has Jimmy standing in the front, with these kind of personified animal characters standing in rows behind him. Um, And then all the arms coming out, aside from Jimmy, uh, just on this kind of, like, pale, beige-ish background, but, like, there's a lot of colors mixed in with the people and the characters and the clothes. It's an awesome album cover.
1: Yeah, really, really cool. I did read
0: one thing he said about this, too, where he's like, (laughs) I think it would have made more sense to kind of tap into my Native American heritage instead of this Indian thing. You got the wrong Indian.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's funny. Uh, anyways. Yeah, so this opens with an instrumental. It's just EXP. It's kind of like this little, I don't know, funny bit on UFOs.
0: Yeah, he opens with this, like, mock radio interview where the, he's got this nerdy-ass, like, uh, radio host that asks this fictitious character, like, oh, what do you think about the existence of unidentified flying objects? And and it's Jimi Hendrix talking back into the mic like I don't know, man. I roll, I roll. <laughs> and so his voice kind of like gets modified and drowned out a little bit. And then you get a little bit of the um like strange instrumental bit that goes on. This is like a minute and a half track um, that leads you right into the next track.
1: Yeah, which is Up from the Skies, which is one of my favorites from the album. It's it's this cool song where it's it's told from the perspective of like a visiting alien. Like, the, yeah. the aliens visiting Earth and is concerned with like what's happened on Earth since the last time they passed through.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting story at the very least here. Um, I got very Travelers Blues vibes here, too. Uh, kind of fun, kind of bumpy. The guitar is super dubbed. The effects here are to the max. Like it just it sounds like he's playing it in like a washing machine almost. <laughs> um you know soft low singing easy going vibe for this one very supernatural strange it's exactly what they were going for um it's not one of my favorites but it's at the very least an interesting track
1: yeah it's both you know creative and cool and on the on the storyline you know the some of the lyrics i've lived here before the days of ice and of course this is why i'm so concerned and i come back to find the stars misplaced and the smell of a world that has burned and uh it, i don't know it's just cool that you know he's tackling like a real world issue like he's got concerns with the world and yeah it's kind of how he's expressing himself to yeah process those thoughts absolutely song after
0: that spanish castle magic uh crazy song title um but a really cool one here too i like this one a lot crunchy buzzy guitars pop off the speakers right away like another one he gets drowned out on the mic but that's okay because the guitars are so fucking loud that it doesn't matter um Another predecessor to modern hard rock, even what would be called heavy metal in the 70s. Um, soft and smooth vocals. You can hear them. They're low, though. Um, guitar is just loud, in your face, crunchy, buzzy as fuck. Crashing drums, bass thumping away. Just a full tour to force here. I love this one.
1: Yeah. So the name of the song is from a club in Washington, kind of just south of his native Seattle. And it served as a venue for, like, young aspiring uh, musicians, including Jimmy himself. And I don't think he got to play there a ton because he didn't really, like, blow up before. And this club ended up getting demolished in uh, 1968, so a year after this album came out. Gotcha. But, uh, yeah, this is epic guitar on this track.
0: Love it. Absolutely must listen off this album. All right. Next one. Uh, wait until tomorrow. This is like a softer, up-tempo kind of sweet pop rock track here. Um, another one of those dancing songs for the live shows. Choppy fun guitar, simple drums, quick energetic vocals. Um, just a middle of the pack song for me.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. The lyrics, it's like a male protagonist who he goes over to you know his female lover's house, who he plans to leave with. Uh, and, and she says like you know let's wait till tomorrow and then at the end of the song they end up getting shot by the female's father so it's kind of <laughs> lyrically it's again wild yeah it's it's kind of out there yeah. uh it's a it's a fine track not one of my favorites from the album but it's it's not bad by any means yeah for sure
0: next up
1: ain't no telling um big old rock
0: song here great energy pounding drums quick drums guitar really flexing doing everything it can here uh, but not as, like, heavy, like, thick as Spanish Castle Magic. Um, more just, like, classic rock sound to it. Uh, mid-tune, a little bit buzzy. Um, I don't think the vocals are anything special here, but uh, regardless, just a fun listen.
1: Yeah, I like the groovy, funky guitar. Lyrically, is super basic. A guy leaves a girl, you know, says, hell I'll see you tomorrow. I don't really have anything else. Yeah, nothing crazy here. The next track, though, is a standout. Yep. Little Wing
0: psych rock power ballad kind of thing here um you know you got like chimes mixing in gives it a little bit of that uh, supernatural feel to it uh other than that it's pretty standard like Hendrix experience rock track here uh, a little softer than usual um but a cool story guitars and the guitar does a great job of kind of storytelling here too there are times i almost feel like the guitar is it, it has has its own voice to it yeah hear you know, guitar definitely. notes that that you're like you can almost put words to um and so you hear it really crying and carrying on through this whole track this one's grown on me a lot
1: me too and I, I kind of agree with you this is the first time we've covered an artist where i'm like man like you could almost just isolate the guitar and, and have a whole separate listen yeah and just kind of see just what the guitar is doing yeah uh, so this song uh i guess this one is super revered amongst guitar players so mm-hmm. tom morello said on this song in in a tribute to hendrix it's just this gorgeous song that as a guitar player you can study your whole life and not get down Never get inside the way he does. He seamlessly waves, weaves chords in single note runs together and uses chord voicings that don't appear in any music books.
0: Yeah, that was somebody I thought about as I was listening through all these, too, is like, that's a guy who loves to fuck with his guitar, and do all sorts of weird shit, um, which just comes right back to this. It's, it's, it's a really cool nod there. The great note that you got there.
1: Yeah. And lyrically, Jimmy's brother said this one was written as a tribute to you know his mom or aunts who used to... Like, look over them. Yeah. Uh I couldn't really find anything else on what it's about lyrically, but this is definitely one of the top 3 or 4 songs on this album.
0: Sure, must listen. Totally agree. Next one, if 6 was 9. I don't know if the joke is intended here or if it's just more of a kind of comparison of opposites, right? Cuz 6 is just an upside down 9, so if it's just that comparison of opposites. But I think the joke is also maybe embedded right there in the song title regardless. Uh, bit of a stopper to this one. You know, you kind of feel yourself like kicking along to the beat on this one. Uh, softer quiet sections where his vocals or, or like the guitar get their own little bits. Um, but that's like between the stomps, right? The stomps will stop for a second. Everything else will stop. And then you're just getting the guitar out. Or Jimmy's just getting a line out. And then it kicks up again. And then, you know, it's got this weird cadence to it. Um, almost like a We Will Rock You kind of cadence to it um regardless super boxy buzzy guitar um nicely cleaner licks bring some depth in on this one it's not one of my favorites but it's growing on me
1: yeah i'm with you where i don't like this one as much and i think stream wise this one has a lot of streams and i don't i don't really like it as much uh there is a culturally significant line in the song where he sings white collared conservatives flashing down the street pointing their plastic finger at me They're hoping soon my kind will drop and die, but I'm going to wave my freak flag high.
0: Yeah, I caught that. And that's a bit of the same thing I was talking about with Foxy Lady. Um, You know, he's talking about he's basically talking about racist white people. Yeah. Um, And so, like, even again, the courage to to say that on, on the mic and like be so popular is is bold as hell, man.
1: Yeah, and I read that after, like, the phrase freak flag became part of the lexicon of, of ah, the 60s that's and, where that comes from. and 70s, where, like, hippies would commonly refer to their haircut as, like, a, their freak flag. Ah, okay, that's cool. Which is really, I mean, it's it's cool. Yeah. It's just a fun fact that you, yeah, you know. That's a good little bit. Yeah. <laughs> right.
0: Next one, you got me floating. Uh, again, pop rocky, background vocals are a big part of this chorus here. Choppy, loud chords set in the tone, loud, exuberant, drubbing. Fast, thrilling licks throughout this one. Kind of catchy. Um, upper end of the middle of the catalog.
1: I'd say the music's good on this one. The lyrics are just all right. Three yeah. three fourths of the song is him just singing. You got me floating. Yeah, I don't. I don't think this is anything like
0: super unique, but it is. It's a fun listen.
1: Yeah, and then I got the vibe of like the Beach Boys
0: doing the yeah. background vocals. I was I was thinking like Beach Boys or Beatles or something like that when I was yeah. listening to this one. Next one, I really like this one too. Castles made of sand. Um, mid-tempo kind of plucky track here a bit softer and cleaner for the most part really smooth easy listening um, this is another one right I thought the vocals were less singing and more conversational
1: yeah it's kind of more uh, spoken verse and I think he, it's because he had written the lyrics of this song as a poem originally
0: yeah and that, that makes a lot it, it sounds a bit like he's reading a poem just reading a poem you know yeah um, guitar is really flexing at the end um, but not like super screechy crazy just you know, doing his bit, playing well. Um, quieter than usual, but it's an interesting bit and a cool story. Um, I like this one a lot.
1: I love the chorus in the song where he sings. And so castles made of sand, fall in the sea eventually. Like, everything in life is temporary. Right, right. And on the effects in the beginning and the middle of the song, Hendrix played all the lead guitar parts backwards, then re-round the recording of the lead guitar parts to the song to get that eff- like that effect that you hear. Yeah,
0: yeah, that whiny kind of effect. yeah. yeah. So again yeah, just man. genius.
1: Yeah, and uh ly- again, lyrically this is just it's it's a very interesting one. You can look at the lyrics several times over. We're like in the last verse he's singing about a suicidal girl, uh a su- suicidal handicapped girl who's crippled for life, you know, moving her wheelchair to the shore by the beach. And she ends up getting saved by this like epiphany that she has. And then the band kind of drops out and Hendrix speaks the final words of the song. Uh yeah, just I I I really like this one. Yeah, totally cool.
0: Next one. This is the first one you get Noel Redding on the mic. (laughs) Get this guy off the mic. I'm not a big fan either. Get this guy off the mic. (laughs) There's a reason he plays bass. Um, Jimmy's got uh, the interesting thing, too, is like you'll hear background vocalists come in and it's Jimmy. Jimmy's doing the background on this one. Um, This struck me again. Very Beatles. Very, very Beatles. Let's just go with that. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of more up-tempo. Drums really stand out a lot on this one. Um, I didn't think it was anything crazy, but just enjoyable, easy listening.
1: Yeah, my note was, music and guitar cool, not Jimmy on the mic. Get this guy off the mic. So, we're talking
0: about the Beatles. Um, I read a story about Jimmy, this was probably about this time, uh, where he was over in London, and he played a gig at a place that Paul McCartney owned. Like a, uh, you know, a a room somewhere, a, a bar. And paul's in the crowd and they had just released uh sergeant pepper's lonely heart club and that had just eked out the previous album or experience for number one on the charts and jimmy comes into the room and starts playing the first song they played was sergeant Pe- pepper's lonely hearts club as they came into the room <laughs> oh, so <really>? fucking cool <laughs> paul mccartney was like that was one of the crowning achievements of our career so fucking cool <laughs> that's awesome uh that just made me think of that all right next one uh one rainy wish, psych rock track here too. Tardu doing these weird ethereal licks. It's it's this one's a strange track. Um, vocals are not like at all composed in a in a linear like recognizable manner. There's no like recognizable rhyme or scheme to it. Um, drums are just kind of keeping it going along. They really like set the the mood for this one. Um, not one of my favorites this feels experimental too much
1: oh it's funny I really like this one yeah yeah this was another one that was written based on a dream that he had okay and uh I don't know i just i for some reason I really like the chorus in this one just like his soft voice and
0: yeah I just so like the chorus right like it doesn't there's no rise to the chorus it just the chorus just happens
1: yeah it's golden rose color of the dream I had. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 um i don't know it's just uh, it's not enough structure here for me okay the next track is little miss lover which is uh one of the first tracks to use like the muted like wah-wah yeah
0: he's got that wah-wah to it um really cool stuff here funky distorted sound to it uh choppy guitar mixing with this solid thumping bass um i I think he does great work on the mic here he's really letting it rip on the mic screaming it out yelling it out um Gets the heads kind of bumping on this one a little bit, just listening to it. Uh this is a good good one towards the end of the album for sure. Yeah, I'm not
1: as big a fan of this one, but it's still decent.
0: Gotcha. Closing it out with the title track, Bold as Love. Um and this is like one of the first tracks they recorded for this album too. Mm. So strange to put it at the end, regardless. Um, kind of a pop rock track again here. Um but it gives me a little bit like we are the champions kind of feel to it where it's got that that sense of accomplishment, that sense of like bold pride of doing something um, just the, with the way the instruments like raise and raise and raise, you know, um, you get this uptempo kind of generic Hendrix sound to it with that um, that gets progressively more and more flashy as the song goes on to the point where by the very end he's just soloing and like fucking, you know, he's, he's got hands on fire by the end. <laughs> um, I think this is a fantastic way to, like, the perfect track to close this out.
1: Yeah, this is a cool track. Lyrically, he, he keeps going from, like, color to color. He's yeah. singing, like, My Red is so confident, he flashes Trophies of War and Ribbons of Euphoria. Orange is young, full of daring, but very unsteady for the first go around. And he just, he keeps going color after color after color. It's almost like he's using, like, a, a rainbow as, like, a metaphor for... Again, feels very trippy. Yeah, 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 for, like, love or, or, yeah, to that point, like, some kind of, like, trip. Um, very, very unique song
0: yeah and it's cool too that like I talked about this like the feeling of accomplishment for this track. you get this almost like these like war drums, you know, like d- yeah, it's cool. I just knocked over like half the set. it's all right, um, but you know what I mean uh like just the like the drummer boy shit um I think that's a perfect ad here. It's just such a cool little bit, um, but the guitar is like happy and like clean and i there's a lot of good stuff going on here, man.
1: Yeah, so funny enough, John Mayer covered this song on uh Continuum 2006. Oh, that's right. This song inspired Mayer to to learn how to play the guitar. He was such a oh, fan of this song. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, so just a little tidbit
0: there. Well, we can uh I'd like to retract all the nice things I've said about this <laughs> song.
1: don't
2: <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> <No. laughs> So so,
1: <laughs> so that closes out Boldo's Love.
0: Yeah, good track. Uh, so then we move into what? Nineteen seven. Sixty eight. Sixty eight again. We're still in the 60s. Jesus Christ. Electric Ladyland. Um, we touched on the studio he built. But at the time, this was also recorded partly in London. And then they moved over to, I think it was Studio Plant, uh, which I believe was owned by Robert Plant. Oh, cool. In New York. Um, kind of a big studio, too. Like a lot of the big, big artists at the time were recording at Studio Plant. Um, and. This is where things start falling off the rails a little bit. I love this album, and I think this album gets a lot of critical acclaim. Uh, But when you listen to the stories from the guys who were in the studio with Hendrix, it sounds like a bit of a shit show. In what way? So, you know, the first two albums are big. Hendrix is getting huge, or he is huge. And it feels like that fame and glitz and glam has kind of worn off on him to the point where, like, these studio sessions... He's starting to fill the rooms with with people just to be there friends, other performers. And, you know, the the guys, Noel and Mitch and and Chaz, all kind of complained about how, like, going to the studio was a bit of a chore because you had to kind of wade through people just to get into the studio. Gotcha. Um, And then Jimmy would go in, and he, uh, aside from doing these, these quick bits just to get songs out, all of a sudden Jimmy wanted to do 10, 20, 30 takes. To get a song just, just perfectly right. Um, which was so counter to what Chaz's whole thing had been about just, hey, we got this much studio time, let's get it done. Yeah. Um and so so Chaz leaves. Um Chaz leaves because of that. He can't he can't deal with Jimmy's antics, he's gone. They the band gets through this, but after this comes out, shortly after this album comes out. Uh, they're starting to record some other stuff, too. Uh, Noel leaves because he's tired of the same shit. He There was a story I read where like Noel showed up to the studio one day. I think they were still in London and Jimmy just didn't show up. And Noel was like, you know what? Fuck this. So he goes to the pub. He goes to the pub for like three or so, some hours. Right. Comes back after that. Jimmy still never showed up to the studio. And Noel was like, you know what? Fuck this. And yeah, that was just like kind of the breaking point for him. Um, it, it, it feels like a little bit of the fame Got to Jimmy's head a little bit But again, he's this eccentric guy I don't think the, the schedule's much mattered to him um, Yeah
1: Regardless he's Also, he's in his mid-20s Give him some time to figure it out, you know
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly um, But I, I think some of these other guys were established um, Let's call it business people, right? Sure. And Jimmy's essentially just this kid That's all of a sudden It's like um, it's like when the, I think of like Zion Williamson, right? <laughs> all of a sudden he gets the nba he's this big big zion williamson <laughs> uh <laughs> um, but yeah he gets all this money right and all of a sudden he's fat all of a sudden zion can't stay under 300 pounds uh you know it's not it's not a, a one-to-one equivalence here sure but sure. same kind of thing right eddie lacy for uh, those packers fans out there a little <laughs> shake of the head from joey Alrighty, uh, but regardless, this album rocks very, very experimental. There's two tracks that exceed 13 minutes on this album. Mm-hmm. Um, two of his biggest hits on this album. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of other, again, just weird instrumental shit. You get two tracks that sound more or less like he put a microphone in the wind and recorded for a minute and put it on the
3: album.
1: Yeah, there's a lot going on here.
0: And that's the first track, and The Gods Made Love. It's
1: just this muffled talking interlude.
0: Yeah, again, with just a lot of wind sound, like, washing over the mic, it's a terrible open. (laughs) It's a terrible way to open this album.
1: Yeah, it really is. And the first song, Have You Ever Been, and then parentheses, to Electric Ladyland, I actually think this is also a terrible open to the album. I'm
0: not a huge fan of this one. I just got soft, smooth, soulful open. Uh, I like the the backwards guitar bit on this, but...
1: I I think you could chop both of those songs and open with the third song on the album, which is Crosstown Traffic.
0: I fucking love this song, dude. So fun. So energetic. Funky. bumping. I love this one. Uh, The vocals are just so high energy, so swaggy, so easy going. Uh, The lead, like the main riff to this track is iconic, man. You hear this one, you immediately know what it is. Um, Even the little licks he does throughout are just perfectly placed, perfectly set um with this like higher high tune the the licks are from the haiku tune guitar the the riff is this like kind of buzzy mid-tune guitar and then the bass underneath that the drums are like just popping and pounding and, and washing all over the place um i love the background vocalists on this one whoever they got to do that yeah fantastic. Yeah. background, background vocals, vocals are great this is a
1: fan fucking tastic there there's also a famous kazoo riff which Hendrix yeah, originally yeah. performed using a comb and a piece of cellophane or cellophane. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then uh lyrically this is it's kind of funny. It's about a girl who's hard to get rid of. So he, he makes the the you know, it's getting through to her that she's not wanted is like getting through cross sound traffic. <laughs> which is just it's just funny.
0: <laughs> what about a 4? I caught a little bit of the uh the music video for this one it, it's nothing special but it is just funny seeing him like flash around in new york city traffic like just kind of like haphazard like what the fuck's going on <laughs> and so with that note it's it's a good little bit yeah uh great track absolute must listen should have opened the album
1: definitely the next track is the first of the 14 minute tracks voodoo child
0: i actually like this one a lot of people won't sit and listen through the, the 14 15 minutes of this track i think this is a absolute rock epic here uh it's just the first couple minutes you get a lot of spoken word or not spoken word but like singing then for the next like 10 minutes you get just that the boys jamming he brought in a couple other guys that he liked to do this one so like you get a few different other instruments especially keyboard i forget the keyboardist's name um but the keyboard here is a great mix with Jimmy on guitar. they just they play off each other. So they do like the back and forth thing at points. Yeah, um, they do like on top of each other at points. Jimmy's guitar work. It's an absolute roller coaster. Um, you know, it's hard to describe a 15 minute song with words except to say just go listen to it. Um, you get a little bit of this in in the radio hit Voodoo Child" Slave return. return. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is more akin to the lag, like the last two and a half minutes of this. Uh, regardless, I, I kind of like this one. It's not no replay value whatsoever, um, but an interesting listen in the right situation.
1: So funny enough, the band actually recorded this song like the full 14 minutes, in three takes. And the only reason they had to do a third take was because Hendrix broke a guitar string on the second <laughs> take. And uh, if you listen, the last, like, 30 seconds of the song is actually just the band, like, applauding each other and being like, yeah,
0: yeah, that was strange. I, ca- I caught that. So like,
1: yeah, we crushed this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Your studio people just talking and shit. Yeah, it's weird. So that I, I did find that funny. Uh, yeah, but I, I would say if you're a bigger Hendrix fan, give this one a listen if you have
1: yeah, my take would just be to listen to Voodoo Child's Slight Return. Yeah, that's a classic. We'll get to it. The next track on the album is Little Miss Strange, which again, not Hendrix on the vocals. Get get this guy off the mic.
0: <laughs> yeah, Noel Redding's back. Um again, fairly Beatles sounding. A cool, plucky guitar mixed in with classic poppy chop guitar. Um I don't know. The guitar's cool, the rest of it's meh. Yeah. Uh next track, another standout from the album for me, Long Hot Summer Night. Totally agree. Uh great driving. Just driving around track, man. You have this one on, you're having a good day. Uh up tempo, great energy, a little bluesy, but a very classic rock sound to it. Um not much of a riff here. It's really just Jimmy like fucking around, uh, playing different licks, all sorts of different stuff on the high strings. Um Is that is that the right like terminology there? The high strings or the higher tune strings, or the low strings, the
1: So the Six and fifth strings would be like the heaviest ones,
0: right? So, but those are those the high strings or the low strings? Because uh, I think about it, when you're playing right-handed, like the high tune strings are at the bottom. All right, so I play left-handed, and so the, the, the high top. Oh, gotcha. Whatever, fuck it. You know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, regardless, a lot of background singing singers act like just echoing Jimmy or playing off his lines. Um fun bright vibe to it great track
1: yeah and lyrically he's just singing it's a hot summer night but he's cold inside because his lover has left him yeah and then in the third verse he ends up getting a a phone call it's from the girl and she apologizes and then the song kind of ends with him like waiting in anticipation right
0: right yeah Yeah, a little cliffhanger
1: yeah no i like this is definitely one worth listening
0: totally agree next up come on let the good times roll classic jimmy here turning blues into hard rock um my notes here oh punchy buzzy guitars cool comp here um i wish he would let his voice ring out a little bit harder um but still good work on the mic just i feel like it just needs a little bit more um great solo on this track really fun song
1: yeah epic solo groovy melody song about living in the moment having sex uh just a good solid track
0: another really good track after this gypsy eyes i this is just so fun, man. The Stomp Along track here. It's a psych rock song more than anything, but it's still got classic rock parts to it. Uh good up tempo beat, mid-level vocals. Um, Jimmy's just licking all over this track. Left, right, and center, man. I mean, it's crazy. Another dancer here. Um, very catchy. A lot of stuff you hear in this song is the kind of things that will inspire bands coming after him. There's there's that funk sound to it, that mm-hmm. hard rock sound to it. The psych rock sound. There's a lot of different shit here that you'll hear in so many artists after him.
1: Yeah, I don't like this one as much as you, but it it's fine. Lyrically, uh, there's a line in the song, Two Strange Men Fighting the Death Over Me Today. Supposedly it's a reference to two men claiming to be Hendrix's father Mm. to try and like reap some of the benefits of his success. I couldn't find too much more other than Supposedly neither of the two men were Al Hendricks, who is his actual father. Right, right. So
0: crazy.
2: Yeah.
0: Alrighty. Uh next one burning of the midnight lamp. Uh a little bit more of a psych rock track here again. Got this really distorted, wobbly, churning guitar. Uh angelic, like ah uh, background singing here. Um Energy picks up a little bit as this one goes,
1: you know, it starts off in the kind of a mid pace and picks up a little bit. It's all right for me. Yeah, I like this one. Hendrix said on this one, this is a song he was really proud of. Some people say this is the worst track we've ever done. I think it's one of the best. Even <laughs> if the technique is not great, even if the sound is not clear, and even if the lyrics can't properly be heard, this is a song that you often listen to and come back to. Gotcha. So, That's cool. I, yeah. Uh, and I guess he wrote this one on a flight from New York to L.A. in 1967, and the lyrics trying to express some of the confusion that he felt at the time.
0: Nice. Next one is... A jazz song. The s- title of this one is Rainy Day, Dream Away. This is just a jazz song.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I-, I don't know how to, like, I don't know where this came from. But regardless, like, you hear very distinct jazz drumming. The bass has a, plays a big part in this one. Guitar is just kind of low, slow, like, kind of plucking away, like you would imagine in a jazz club. And there's some saxophone, too, no? Saxophone in this one. Uh, it's a fun listen. It's just I was shocked when I heard it. Um I think Hendrix can do more than this. I like it. I just think it doesn't it doesn't max out his potential.
1: Yeah, I think it would be cool to hear if he would have ended up living to do like a jazz and guitar like combination album with more kind of experimentation along these lines. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And then uh my note on this one was Hendrix only performed one show at a two-day uh, Miami pop festival in 1968 the second one was rained out so that inspired him to write the song rainy day dream away gotcha
0: i'd like to make a digression for a moment uh you had a comment yesterday that made me laugh a lot i think it was yesterday maybe it was the day before you were listening to some of the new green day tracks oh and yeah would you like would you like to say it yourself or shall i expand on this on the debate we had
1: yeah basically it was just like Green Day has been putting out the last, I don't know, four five, six, seven albums that they put out since the albums they put out since uh, Bullet in the Bible. It just all sounds the same. And it's just all like it just makes me like them less, even though they're one of my favorite bands for so long. <laughs> we had the debate of should your
0: favorite artist keep making music, even if you don't like it. And at the time, it was a debate where I was like, I don't think so, man, because the bad stuff like it weighs on you a little. And you were like, "Nah," because like that's basically just uh, it's basically gravy. And we've we've come around to the point where the text I got the other day was maybe they should stop making music.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> and I th- I think too, it's just one of those things where it's like they're not even trying to do anything like super different.
0: Yeah, it, it is very. It, it feels a little bit lackluster, and uh,
1: it it just feels like it's the same old, same old. It's yeah. not. I don't know. It's just
0: it doesn't grip yeah.
1: Like at least with with other groups like if you switch up your sound every album, like even if it's not good, at least you're trying something different whereas yeah. the green day it just feels like they're like rinse a bit and repeat, a bit rinse formulaic, and repeat, yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. All right, we can get back on track here. I just <laughs> I, it, I thought about it and it made me laugh.
1: Yeah, so the second 14-minute song on this album is 1983 a merman i should turn to be.
0: Not as big of a fan as of this one as Voodoo Child, but there's still really good stuff here. Another rock epic. Um, just a whole journey through the depths of the ocean and back. Um, singing is mostly lower, but I wouldn't worry about that too much. You're here for the music. And again, just a big jam session. Such cool shit. Absolute guitar masterclass. Same as Voodoo Child. If you're into really into Hendrix, give it a listen.
1: Yeah, and this is another track where he's he's kind of just letting... He's talking about, like, what's wrong with the world and what's messed up, and in the song, he's thinking about how he wants to escape what's all the horrible things going on in the world and to be re- reborn as, like, a merman and live in the ocean. Um. I don't... I wouldn't... I'm not going to find myself coming back to this one. Yeah. But I don't, like... I don't hate it. Also interesting, like, 1983 was the future. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> Uh this is supposed to be like a futuristic ooh <laughs> nineteen eighty three. Love flying cars by then. <laughs> <laughs> uh. all right, next one. Uh Moon turn the tides gently, gently away. Um, this is just like the first track. It's it's just wind noise.
1: Instrumental ambience. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's nothing. Next. Still raining, still dreaming. So uh,
1: this one's funny. This is a continuation of Rainy Day Dream Away.
0: Yeah. I I thought it had a similar bit to it. I was trying to figure that out. You're kind of
1: right. Yeah, I don't know if you got anything else on that, but Well, I think I think that my take on this one was maybe like the producers were like I think originally Jimmy's like, all right, I'm going to make a super long song like r- about the rainy day. Yeah. And the producers are like, no, you already have two 14-minute songs. We're not doing another <laughs> fuck one. Fuck off. So Jimmy said, fuck off. I'm going to make rainy day dream away. And then still raining, still dreaming. was <laughs> essentially, it's two songs that are like one in the same. But he's just, <laughs> they're just different tracks and
2: set together.
0: <laughs> yeah, he basically broke it up into two. And they're still both uh, fairly long tracks by standards, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a fairly similar sound or daydream way. Uh, if you like that one, you will like this one.
1: And if you don't, you probably won't like yeah, this one. Right?
0: Agreed. So oh, I did notice here, though, again with the, like the the odd guitar bits and the the wild licks. This struck me as like a like a, a child Jack White listening mm. to this one and being like, "Wow, that fucking
1: rocks." <laughs>
2: yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah,
0: got a bit a bit of icky thump to it.
2: Yeah,
1: his dad's playing Hendrix in the guitar yeah. or, uh, in the car, like on his right. CD, and he's like, "Wow." A, I like this. I want to do
0: this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Next one, house burning down. Uh, funky track here. Punchy rhythm guitar with the echoey ringing licks mixed in. Uh, vocals getting through his range well. Um, it feels like he like kind of didn't give a damn about the chorus here, uh, as as he just kind of wanted to play. Like the chorus is nah, but the music here rocks. Um, you know, good not great song. Um, a little more attention to detail maybe.
1: Yeah, so this I think this song did become more like a symbol of uh, social and political tur- turmoil in the United States in the late '60s. Um, in terms of the effects, they tried to make the guitar sound like it was on fire, like it was constantly changing dimensions. Uh, I got you. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Because you hear a lot of like whining and screeching and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, and going back to like you know <coughs> him singing about what's wrong in the world, he's singing. I said the truth is straight ahead, so don't burn yourself instead. Try to learn instead of burn. Hear what I say. Yeah, yeah. So when I finally rode away, but I'll never forget that day, because when I reached the valley, I looked way down across the way. A giant boat from space landed with eerie grace and came and taken all the dead away. Yeah. so Good writing there. And now we get to the final two tracks on this album. The hard hitters. Two of his best tracks.
0: Totally agree.
1: In terms of streams, replay value. I mean, these everything. Are, these, these are, are two are of my favorites. iconic
0: Hendrix tracks, iconic rock, classic rock songs.
1: And the first one's a cover.
0: Cover. All Along the Watchtower. And the Dylan version is very different. It's very much more Dylan style. It's not like this version of All Along the Watchtower is very hard rocky. You know, got a little bit of that bluesy like Hendrix flair to it. Um, crying guitar all the way through. Uh, Hendrix on the bike is Masterful on this yes. track, masterful. Yes. He brings the perfect amount of energy. It's a it's a lot of energy, man. He's yelling and, and letting it rip. Uh, the guitar here just it's not all over the place. The rhythm of the guitar is very very well structured. It plays off the original beat very well, but in in his style, his flair to it, uh, mixed in again with the licks. The licks are everything for this band. Uh, the build up to the end really is just fantastic, and the way it fades out. Uh, truly a fantastic song.
1: Yeah. So the Dylan version's a lot slower, and the way he speeds it up with the guitar, it almost adds like a sense of urgency to the to the story and the lyrics. And when
0: you put it in the context of his like anti-war stances, right? Um, you got the Vietnam kind of pushback coming from this same counterculture. Um, it, it it fits so perfectly with this this era, this 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 culture, this. Ah, he's just, it encapsulates everything about him, man.
1: Yeah. So I want to get into the lyrics of this song because this is I've listened to this so many times and I still like I just I love I love this song. Yeah. Totally. So there's, there's essentially two characters in the song. There's the Joker and the thief. And, you know, the the Joker kind of represents like a disillusionment. He's seeing like the darker side of life uh, f- feeling exploited. It'd probably be a good way to describe the the verse of the Joker. And then the thief kind of embodies the rebellion, um, living life on the edge and, you know, take what you can grab kind of mentality. And then the third verse, so like the first two verses are like the Joker and the thief talking back and forth to one right, another. Right. And then the third verse is like it paints a picture of everything else going on around like in the story um, where, where you, it, the third verse is all on the watchtower. Princes kept the view while all the women came and went barefoot servants, too. Well, outside in the cold distance, a wildcat did growl. Two riders were approaching, and the wind began to howl, hey, all along the watchtower.
0: That line, too. And the wind began to howl. He rips.
1: Yeah, and it's, like, there's so many different things where it's, like, the song kind of represents, like, good versus evil, like, change in power, seeing the truth in the world. Like, yeah. there's so many different elements of it, and it's funny because they asked Bob Dylan what the song was about, and he was, like, super, like, he wouldn't Reagan, give an answer. Yeah. Like Which almost adds to the, like, allure of it. Yeah, yeah, a
0: little bit of that charm to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. totally agree. And it's... what a classic.
1: I mean, I think, to to wrap it up, like, lyrically, I think it kind of...
0: Well, I mean, he didn't write it, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) You know. (laughs) No, I'm just saying, like, lyrically, I think it's, like, uh, just trying to deal with, like, questioning what's going on in life. Yeah, like in the super broad. Right, s- right. Yeah. A
0: bit of uh, healthy skepticism.
1: Yeah. And the the one other note I wanted to add, this was voted the best cover of all time in 2008 by Rolling Stone.
0: Totally. I mean, we we talked about our covers, but I think this is in my top 10. This is this rock.
1: So I had I hadn't heard either of these songs until doing this? Or the original and then the cover until doing this. Really? Yeah. Or maybe I've heard it, but then. Yeah. You know, like in passing. Wow. I, when I heard this song, I listened to the Bob Dylan version, and then I went back and I listened to this maybe like five times in a row. Like yeah, I was Bob Dylan, he, he might as well
0: just take it out. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need it anymore.
1: Yeah, this. I mean, this version is far superior to the original.
0: I uh, 100% agree. Love this song. All right, uh, right, let's close it out. Voodoo Child, Slight Return. Uh, the Slight Return is not a reference to the music. The, the, the Slight Return is a reference to Voodoo Child and them going back to it a little bit yeah it's very literal slight return.
1: so again he's doing this thing and same thing with rainy day dream away and still still raining uh it's essentially a continuation of yeah yeah, yeah.
0: this is what would have been on the end of voodoo child yeah if the if they let him do a twenty twenty minute yeah. song <laughs> right but it it's good because this would have never hit the radio if it had been on the end of that but this song is a radio must like you turn on any rock station in America, and this probably plays every day.
1: Iconic intro.
0: Absolutely, man. Just the wow, 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 wow. It's, it's akin to like it. a
1: Seven Nation Army where you, you hear the first second, two you, seconds, and you're yeah, like, you oh, here we immediately.
0: go. It's so fucking iconic. Um, much more palatable than Voodoo Child. You know, it's only like three, three and a half minutes long. Yeah. Um, really like this is jimmy just letting the balls hang out on the guitar here just throwing everything to the wall all the effects all the licks he could find Uh, this is him at his best
1: yeah this is one where he's scratching the guitar and he has the wah-wah pedal
0: yep yep um the vocals here rock again and you know he's really stretching that voice out to like out to the end um you know it's a some of these licks like lay so close to each other that it feels like you'd need two guitars to make some of these sounds because like one lick ends and like without a beat, the next lick starts. That's a good point. I never thought of that. It's a crazy effect. Uh, they, maybe they just did that by like having different tapes and just laying tapes, you know, on top of each other. Um, but regardless, it's such, such a cool effect. Uh, you know, it, this is classic Southern blues or Southern blues with Hendrix's flavor to it. Uh, Mustless classic song
1: yeah and a lot of the same lyrics from voodoo child where he's singing the night i was born i swear the moon turned to fire red while yeah. my m- poor mother cried out lord the gypsy was right and i've seen her fall down right dead yeah just it's, it's cool lyrically too it's but so cool it's just an iconic riff iconic yeah. rock song
0: yeah uh, w- it would be just as powerful without any vocals sure all right and that's all we got for the Jimi hendrix experience you know like we said he Kind of started another band, was doing some stuff with one of these guys, and then he died. Um, you know, he's twenty seven. He went over to he went over to London in like I think it was seventy seventy or seventy one. Um, he goes over there, and he's he's living with his girlfriend at the time. They had gone out. He had gone to see some friends. She, the, he comes back in the middle of the night, or she brings him back in the middle of the night, probably because he was drinking or doing drugs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's got these sleeping pills. And uh, so she rolls into bed, just kind of falls asleep. It's super early in the morning. Wakes up around 10, 9, 10 o'clock, and Jimmy's just kind of laying on the floor dead. And so she calls an ambulance. Ambulance brings him to the hospital, pretty much immediately declare him dead. He had choked on his own vomit from taking barbiturates is the official report. Um, again, I, I don't think it's crazy to imagine there were other things in his system at the time mm-hmm. but one of the reports states that he had taken nine of these sleeping pills that she had which was 18 times the recommended dose wow um so it's not hard to imagine how regardless of what his body Dude, was like doing at he was that point just stay up well that's another interesting story so woodstock 69 right they it stretches out into that monday he had been up the entire... He didn't fucking sleep the entire weekend. Oh, my God. He. They said he didn't sleep the entire fucking weekend because he was doing drugs and partying and whatever. He gets off stage on Monday and just collapses. Like, dead as fuck collapses. Yeah. You know, obviously, he was fine. But, yeah, three and a half days without sleep, man. Fucking That's crazy. crazy. But, uh, you know, a legend gone too soon again. Uh, one of the... Uh, where do I got it here? He's... He's part of this kind of famous 27 club yeah. for a lot of a lot of different artists that died around the same time here. Just give me one second to pull this up. I got the note. Uh, it's like, I mean, he's the biggest artist in this in this group, I would say. But uh, where is it? Uh, it's like Janis Joplin. Uh, Brian Jones, Alan Wilson, Jim Morrison, uh, you know, all gone too soon. Uh, legends of the of the art. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's hard to say. Uh, with that last album, it was definitely getting more experimental, but he was getting a lot of different other interesting stuff in there, too. So
1: oh, and they still released two projects post his death. Yeah. Rainbow Bridge in 1971. And then, uh, oh, shoot, I didn't record the name of the other one. But there's some good songs on both of the subsequent projects they released after he died. Right. And he's got some
0: other stuff, too, that came out like on his own name, technically. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So if you're interested in Hendrix, give some of that to listen to. It's out there. Um, I, apparently, Noel and Mitch aren't thrilled about that whole situation. There was a lot of about sp- about the the post mortem releases, and then like other releases that were not necessarily gotcha. like you know. Because
2: they released uh, a bunch of live albums too.
0: Yeah, his uh, his like rights. His like recording rights it went to his dad. Well, it went to his dad eventually. Oh his yeah. dad had to go to court for like twenty years to get his recording rights. That's crazy. Uh but Jimmy had made some bad deals along the way. Um and yeah, so his his master's rights were kind of fucked for a long time. And so the band wasn't thrilled when Jimi Hendrix music was still coming out in the early seventies. and uh, they were getting shafted basically. That, that sucks. But uh
1: yeah. Anyways, that's all I got for Jimi Hendrix today. Anything else? No, we can get in the top ten albums concert.
0: Yeah, let's do it. All right, um, let's do songs first. No albums. Albums quickly, because I don't think we'll have too much disagreement here. No. Yeah, go ahead for albums. I'm gonna, sw- I'm gonna switch. I'm gonna go. Are you experienced? Electric Ladyland. Boldaslov. Love.
2: wait.
1: wait so Boldaslov is your favorite?
0: No, sorry, sorry. One to three. Electric. Are you experienced? Electric Ladyland. Boldaslov.
1: Oh, okay. I'm. I'm the same okay yeah
0: yeah and I, i'm just making that change now as we talk through it this morning i had electric lady land higher i think maybe it's just like the hits hit harder but i think electric lady land, or already experienced top to bottom is better
1: yeah no i i was with you there talking through it definitely all right uh song do you want to go 10 to 1 sure so for me 10 hey joe nine cross town traffic eight one rainy wish seven castles made of sand six little wing five purple haze four spanish castle ma- magic three the wind cries mary two voodoo child slight return and one all along the watchtower yeah it's not
0: too far off for mine we're gonna have a few small small differences but nothing crazy uh 10 to one for me castles made of sand at 10 purple haze at nine wind cries mary eight spanish castle magic seven fire six may this be love five four foxy lady three all along the watchtower Two crosstown traffic and one Voodoo Child Slight Return. Yeah. Can't can't like I said, we got a lot of the same songs on here aside from a few not hits, you know.
1: Yeah. All right. Um opener closer or opener encore. Yeah, so opener I have Purple Haze and then for my concert Encore I have Spanish Castle Magic, Wind Cries Mary, and Voodoo Child Slight Return. (laughs) I got Wind Cries Mary in that middle spot too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Makes sense. Yeah, I think Purple Haze is a cool opener. That's one you could definitely play with at the beginning and kind of, you know, distort, fuck up, Mm -hmm. and then get right into it. Um, Mine's a little bit different. I think mine, I I more picture Jimmy just coming out, like riffing a little bit, and then getting right into it. It's Crosstown Traffic. Okay. Um, And then I'm going into the encore with Come On, Let the Good Times Roll, Wind Cries Mary, and Closing With Fire. <laughs> Again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Can't go wrong with that. Can't go wrong with that. <laughs> righty guys. Um next week, bring me the horizon. Yes. And the week after that, D twelve. Yes. Um uh, all right. Follow us on socials, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and TikTok at Flip the Record. Like, review, subscribe on Spotify and Apple. Thanks for listening.
1: Catch you on the next one.